Welcome to Mac and Cheese Music Podcast with your hosts, Brian DeHart. Hey everyone, welcome back to Mac and Cheese Music Podcast. We really appreciate you listening. We're in nine countries now. Thank you very much. Here's Johnny! I feel good about it too, but you are such a funny guy. Funny? Like a clown? I amuse you? Oh, hold on. Is that appropriate? I'm a huge fan of inappropriate behavior. (laughs) (laughs) You keep me on my toes. Hey, babe, rest never sleeps. Speaking of not sleeping, what a perfect segue for today's podcast guest, Robert Brewer, a.k.a. DJ Forrest Gump. Well, let's see. Let's knock off this list of accolades. Rob has worked with four radio stations, worked with record labels, promoted concerts, managed venues, is a super busy and in-demand DJ, an extremely talented vocalist singing with various bands, who happens to play guitar, and to kill time during COVID, he picked up trumpet and saxophone. <laughs> Lord. Say what? With no further ado. They call it a royale with cheese. I'm rolling my R's. Like when I started at K-Fox, that was all tape. Oh, you, so you, do you use tape? Oh, yeah, yeah. So you, yeah, you have to use tape because, uh, you know, back then, a lot of times, you're, either your music or your commercials were on 8-tracks. Oh, yeah. You know, so, you know, you just have 8-track carts. So it's like the word cart was, was mainly meant because of 8-track cartridges. Oh, so I mean, it's not a literal cart, but you're just calling it cartridges for short. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, let's say if I had a program like uh, a King Biscuit Flower Hour, right? <laughs> yeah. So a King Biscuit Flower Hour will, is going to come to you in a quarter-inch tape, you know? And so, um, and so it, it's going to come in segments of like 20 minutes because you're going to include probably about five minutes of commercial, yeah, you know, and uh, five to 10 minutes of commercial and whatever. And so you have to, once you go to your commercial break, you have to take the reel off and put the, you know, and uh, put on the whole nother reel. Yeah, I you get know? that. And so you would get like three or four in a box and that was your, your program. How on earth did you edit those cartridges? Oh, as far, oh, as far as uh, yeah, well, I mean, so there was a like when you back then on the eight track, you could record on the eight track. So you would just your your uh, you would you know press press record. It was just like you know like recording on a cassette. Oh, so you were going? Uh, were you doing commercial? Were you producing and editing commercials? No, time? back back oh. then I was I was a new kid on the block. I wasn't doing that, but oh. as 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 a board op, you still had to uh, know how to cut and splice to uh, to you know put on reels for uh, you know for for syndicated shows. Right, right. So so when you recorded on the cassette, you had to cut and splice those. I mean, um, the- no, I would. So so if I got a syndicated show, they came on a quarter. You would get a box, and inside the box would be a quarter inch reel. And uh, you would have to uh, put it on the real, real the real machine, like as if I was going to record. And uh, once you put it on the reel, uh, and once your commercial break was over, you hit play, and that would be your twenty, your next twenty minute break until <laughs> until the tape was getting ready to end, and then you go back to your uh, commercial spots. Yeah, we, you were talking about when you were in the, when you were buried in the studio. Did you ever have like tape heads fail on you in the middle of a broadcast? No, thank God. I yeah. never had tape heads fail. I never saw eight track stuff go flying out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I never, no, I, I was oh, very fortunate. that's funny, But man. You know, I think the beauty of it, though, of, uh, you know, of learning that is that, you know, um, you know, I, I think a lot of DJs, radio DJs are so jaded because they're used to technology. So let's say if I ever had to go to a small 
uh, station in Montana or maybe somewhere in like Nome, Alaska. Oh. More than you know, more than likely that they're not going to have modern technology. Right, right. Um, and so I could easily waltz in and and know what to do because that's that was the basics. Wow, that's <laughs> that's really cool. So hey, everybody, Mac and Cheese Music Podcast here. We have Robert Brewer, and obviously you can tell by this conversation that Robert has an extremely diverse background. I like to call him a music aficionado, because not only does he have a radio station experience, but he's also been a producer, he plays guitar, I don't, how many, I don't know how many bands he sings in, and then he's also <laughs> a DJ, and what else do you do, Rob? I oh mean, man, <laughs> um, you know, I've been lucky enough to work in, uh, in uh, music promotion for a few different record companies, uh, uh, also independently. Uh, I, uh, in, I want to say in 1995 and 1996, uh, one, of my, one of my mentors, uh, Mr. DJ Nasty Ness, he owned a company, or still owns a company called Crazy Pinoy Promotions. And uh, the, the company that I was a part of, we won two Gavin Awards. What's a Gavin Award? So Gavin was kind of the most prestigious name in radio. Like it was, it was a, it was a company that would, uh, you know, collect from music directors and program directors all the uh, BDS spins or weekly spins that were being played, and it was a, a more accurate, accurate charting list. So like, if you were the number one played song you were giving really you were getting at gavin you were getting really really good accurate data so like um i had 1400 spins over the week well i could detect it because gavin has a really really good staff of, of charting who's actually being played and who's not being played um, and this is for all genres Interesting. And so did Gavin, were they accountable to ASCAP and BMI? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. 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 And um, so the, uh, the founder of Gavin, he had passed away, I want to say, in like 1996, 1997. And I want to say shortly after he had passed away, the company was sold to another company. Okay. And that was kind of the end of Gavin. Interesting. Very interesting. How many radio stations have you worked with? Radio stations? Yeah. Uh, let me see. Three. Okay, and those were... Or actually, th four. Four. Four, four <laughs> local Seattle stations. Four local Seattle stations. I got my first start um, through a guy named Bob Wickstrom, who was my instructor at the Art Institute. And uh, I want to say he also was the president of uh, Bailey School of Broadcasting. There you go. And um, so he had uh, he had asked me and another guy if we wanted to do an internship at uh, K Fox, and um, I didn't know at that time uh, K Fox. He well, he was the president of K Fox, but he uh, they had recently sold to Radio Disney. So now 1250 AM is Radio Disney. And so it was a kind of a short-term, short-lived uh, internship. And so it was only, only lasted three months. Yeah, but it was a stepping stone. Oh, it was awesome. It was like, for me, I grew up listening to 1250 K Fox. And, and so, um, you know, for, I, just, I remember the, my first day you know, being there, the first thing I did was I called my mom. You know, I was like, Mom, you won't believe where I'm at. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a K Fox, you know? And I think she was like, Hey, can you throw this in? And I was like, Yeah, and boom. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know just to solidify, I'm there, you know? That's funny. Man. Uh, yeah, so it was like um, uh, programming was at, at that point because we were getting ready to go off the air in three months was a, a slightly different. Normally, like, you'll. In radio, you'll get a, um, a programming sheet and it'll let you know what songs are going to play, that you're going to play, your commercial breaks and all that and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, and so I knew all my commercial spots, but more or less, uh, you know, we, we went by a hot clock system. I don't know if you're familiar with I don't know what a hot, hot clock, clock is. So you would have like uh, your top songs 
would be a A. Uh, reoccurring songs would be a B. Maybe a, a retro top song might be a C, uh, depending on. Um, I'm going to keep it in the soul branch. Maybe uh, uh, D might be a reggae song or, you know, like maybe something like a Bob Marley or, or something. Uh, and so uh, so I would I would kind of create A, B, A, B, A, or A, B, A, C uh, as far as picking out songs uh, for the rotation. Interesting. And so, did did you create the hot box yourself? Or no, no, hot the, clock. Uh, hot clock. I'm the sorry. hot clock's been around probably ever since, uh, you know, radio's been radio. It's just uh, it's just kind of a programming technique to uh, for music directors and program directors to uh, create a, uh, a a good variety for listeners. Interesting. Very interesting. So, how did that did that lead into your promotional? Um, part of your I, career, I, I, I feel in a slight way it did. So, um, so now, so I uh, let me see. So I I worked also at the Improv Comedy Club, mm-hmm. um, which was owned by a gentleman named Larry Harris, and Larry Harris, him and his cousin Neil Bogart. And uh, a good friend of theirs named Bruce Burt, well, him and Neil, no, Neil Bogart, they uh, created uh, Casablanca Records. Okay. And so Casablanca Records was known for groups like Kiss, Parliament, Funkadelic, Casey and the Sunshine Band, The Village People, Donna Summer. Um, just a few. Just a few. No names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I, I actually loved it. So I was going to the Art Institute, um, and when I got done with school, I pretty much worked at the Improv Comedy Club. And so Larry was just the most humongous, you know, um, encyclopedia that you could pick from. And, and he actually... I, th- I think he, you know, he actually liked me a lot, and and he would, we would sit down and we would talk for hours on end about um, promotions, about contracts, uh, about radio. Um, you know, he he's got uh, a cup like I think three, two books that's that he's a part of. One book that's out there uh, that's a good read. It's called Hitmen, so make sure you check it out. I will. And then um, he's got another book that he put out a few years back about uh, him at Casablanca and it's called and party every day okay yeah um, and so two two great books that you can find <laughs> how, many, how many years were you doing that um, so I I worked with Larry at the improv for about six years okay that'll that, you'll learn something there so right? yeah I just I just kind of felt that the combination of uh, you know, going to the Art Institute and then working with him over that time period would be equivalent to having a master's degree in music. Yeah, I, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and all of your sleeves rolled up in, in the mire. You know, it's just so many things I think I, I had learned that were probably things that, you know, were unteachable, you know, as far as in a classroom setting. Sure. And then, um, so then I got lucky uh, while working. Uh, still working at the improv I um, uh, was I almost still forget to this day how it actually happened but I I had hooked up with a, a DJ Nasty Ness and I feel like we were talking and 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 I was like oh yeah I just left K-Fox you know and he, and he actually used to be a, you know he was probably the most famous DJ ever ever at K-Fox okay you know back in its in its great days in its golden period mm-hmm. um, you know and that's how him and, and Sir Mixalot really got started um, and so we were talking he was and I, I just remember uh, you know telling him about Bob Wickstrom and he was like Bob Wickstrom that's the guy that fired me <laughs> <laughs> and so I I you know I was just, I always got kind of a little kick out of it in, in um but, you know, it was like that was kind of the beginning of my relationship 
with him and and um, you know and, and Ness is a, a humongous encyclopedia the same way Larry is when when it comes to uh, promotion when it comes to uh, to radio um, and when it comes to you know just records he knows that he's probably still one of the few individuals that breaks new music you know and a lot of, you know like probably one of the biggest things that a lot of people don't know about him is that he is probably one of the first um asian djs with you know that have had a lot of success in the united states so yeah like as far as asian asian djs and hip-hop he's probably it's probably the grand. He's probably the grandfather of Asian wow. DJs in hip hop and turntables. That's, that's a cool connection. Yeah, you know, and so it's uh, it's pretty impressive. So, do you have stories that you can tell? Do you, is, is there a story of note with, without without yes, a story uh, with, of note? Yeah. So I do have a story of note, and it, it has to that do which will avoid lawsuits. It's a, I, that's actually that's that's a that's an ongoing thing between him and I. It's like so, Ness. If you're hearing this, uh, uh, don't don't call your lawyer on me. <laughs> There's no intent of defamation of uh, defamation of character, right? Um, you know, I'd say if there was any one thing that it has to do with the uh, you know, um, with with the Forrest Gump thing and me um, transitioning to DJing. And that would be um, through his ex-wife, uh, Baby C. And so his ex-wife, I, I just vividly remember we were at an event at the Showbox. And um, I was with, uh, uh, I was with, I think Ness was DJing. And there was a bunch of other people that were DJing. And uh, I was with Baby C and a friend named Kristen Fairbanks who was an assistant and um, and myself. And we were just chilling against the wall, just listening to music. And Baby C was just kind of calling out. She's like, oh man, they need to play this. Uh, they need to play that. And it was like, we just kind of all chimed in. And, you know, and it can't, and the reason why we had all chimed in was that we had noticed that the dance floor was packed, but it was just mainly packed Full of dudes, and so you <laughs> was know, it the club. <laughs> it was, it, you know, it was. Which you know, it's like, it it was like there was. I felt that you know, like um, I play a lot of songs, but I, I that of music that I like, but I also have to keep in mind, like DJing, and I also need to uh, do what I can to keep the women happy too. So I try to you know play songs that I try to think out of the box and, and uh, think, okay, what, you know, what songs do I always see, you know, my female friends jamming to, you know, so that way I incorporate a, uh, a good mix. And I was just like, you know what, I need to just, I just need to do my own thing. And so I started DJing. projects that I was supposed to record on that uh, over the past six months have fell through. So unfortunately, that's that's all I got for you on recording. Well, so with the Superphonics, you were singing with that band. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Superphonics was really cool. We, because uh, it was, it was uh, I'd say prior to Midnight Radio Revival, um, all the bands that I was in, you know, were 
were bands kind of like Tower of Power. So, you know, we had horn sections and stuff like that. And, and uh, just a little bit more, you know, just funky. Yeah. You know, and, and which which I love. Right. <laughs> right, I get it. I mean, I love I love Midnight Radio, but it's like sure. it's just you know like when you when you're able to incorporate horns or or extra keys with what you're doing, you, you that jambalaya, that pot that you're mixing is is tasting yeah. tasting a lot better. Yeah, I, I'm with you. But the, <laughs> the fact that you can jump between R and B and soul and rock and roll is a big deal. It's a, there's there's a different styles of singing. Oh yeah. Well, I I think it's. You know, I mean, I I grew up in the 70s, and so it's like, uh, uh, you know, the first band I ever remember hearing my entire life was Sly and the Family Stone. So, I mean, I, I think that solidifies everything, because Sly Stone, you know, they, 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 brought all, they brought all flavor to the table. They sure did. Yeah. And so, yeah, first song I ever remember hearing in my entire life was when I was three years old, and it was Sly Stone Stand. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not <laughs> going to tell you the first song I remember. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a little bit older than you. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty cool stuff, man. But, you know, I, I was a kid who would, you know, maybe on the weekends you know try to stay up late and watch midnight special when it came on tv uh you know i knew if uh my i live with my mom and my grandma mm -hmm. so um my grandma watched lawrence welk and she watched hee-haw and so <laughs> if i wanted to watch tv i had to watch lawrence welk and i had to watch hee-haw a lot of times i didn't survive past lawrence welk and i'd be out cold is that sunday nights um, I think Lawrence Falk was on Saturdays, but oh. Kiha was on Sundays. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I seem to remember that. I was, for me, it was Sunday nights over at the grandparents, and it was definitely Hee Haw. Uh -huh. And then, uh, and then, Hee Haw. I think came. We were able to watch Walt Disney, and then Hee Haw came on, and then we definitely had to watch Hee Haw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was after Wonderful World. Of yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, tell me about uh, the rock bands you've been singing with. Um, okay, so, you know, I've been um, singing with uh, Midnight Radio Revival uh, for the past, what, seven, seven and a half years. Um, I know with COVID and everything, it's, it's, been, it's been tough. And so, uh, I don't really know the future of what's going to happen with that, but I'm pretty sure. We're, but we're all we all communicate with each other, so I'm pretty sure we're eager to try to do something. You know, um, the kind of the lead in the band is uh, Doug Meyer, although the the founder of the group um, is uh, is a gentleman named Bob. Um, but Doug, he um, he's written a lot of a lot of material um and i know that we you know i i know i want to be a part of some of the uh, songs that he's written so hopefully like him myself maybe his wife vicky uh we all collaborate with you know other people on getting those works out um as far as doing the covers i like doing the covers in midnight radio it's like it's to me it's like with everything that's gone on over this past year, it's it's been kind of a bummer because it's like I really felt that the songs that Midnight Radio covers is tr truly reflects on everything that's been going on, you know, over this past year as, as far as with our country. So, um, you know, COVID is definitely, you know, kind of kind of hurt. Uh, you know, the band and, and the band's message. You guys do a lot of 60s and 70s? Yes, sir. So, okay, so there's a little bit of the rebellious uh, calling the government into accountability sort of mm -hmm. sort of flavor of the band. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And, and uh, it's yeah. a wide, wide spectrum of genres that you guys cover. We, we cover the golden age of rock, 1965 through 1974. Holy cow. 
Wow. And then you've also been working with a foreigner tribute band. That's right. Uh, Cold as Ice. We've gone through a couple lineup changes, and I, I, um, we, we, I feel like we, uh, we just at right now at this point, we just annually get together to, um, to just kind of jam, and and we we tend to we we tend to want to do stuff, um, but we just you know like with COVID, we just really haven't. Yeah, it's really knocked the wind out of a lot of people. Yeah, it and, really has. And, it, and it's, you know, and it's not like we don't want, like, I'd say with both groups, it's not like we don't want to practice together, but, you know, um, you know, some people have health elements and, yes. and you know, and, and playing so, you know, so close to one another, uh, you, you know, it's like we, we have really trying to take into consideration, um, you know, like, fa- you know, like family, you know, relatives and and, and friends, and the last thing in the world we want is for any family, friends, relatives to get sick or die. You know, I think that's a major concern of most of us right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so I don't mind taking a year, year and a half off. And, and truthfully, over the past, you know, year, it's given me a lot of time to um, practice. Just, you know, just like um, take the, you know, whether it's practicing DJing or playing more guitar um i picked up a couple of new instruments that have been kicking my ass what, you, what have uh, you picked up uh, a trumpet oh <laughs> yeah 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 you yeah you definitely get an ass kicking from that and, and how, uh, how, how are you how are your lips how's your face oh man my, it's, <laughs> my, numbs, oh, my, my, my lips are numb <laughs> I feel like the one dude from Fat Albert, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, trumpet. I, <laughs> so, oh, yeah, man. I've been playing a little bit of trumpet, and um, I have an alto saxophone. Really? Yes. Wow. And so that's that's been kind of fun. I, I um, had a period where my neighbors had moved out, so I was more of in free range of just blaring e- either or. But now that I have new neighbors... Um, I've I've kind of toned down my practices and have, like taken my instruments either to work or somewhere for off hours just so I could uh, um, practice. <laughs> yeah. So with that being said, you, you still are getting DJ gigs. Oh man. Um, you know I was up until um, the end of September. Yeah. And it's just been, it's been a, a no go, and and I'm actually really happy. I'm 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 not DJing at the moment. I'm I can tell you this this year, 2021, um, spring summer. Uh, I'm I'm booked solid. Oh, I bet you are. You know, so yeah, it's coming up. Yeah, I'm just hoping. That's why, I, like right now. I'm just trying to do the right thing and, and just, uh, you know, keep my distance, stay home as much as possible. I just want all of this to just, you know, slowly disappear and, and um, you know, and every, you know, for the world to get healthy. So that way I can get back to work, man, you know, and, and um, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to spring and summer. And like I said, I'm really looking forward to just day to day doing the right thing and eventually watching these numbers go down. Yeah. <laughs> so you have been able to like switch hats, which I find extremely impressive from guitarist, learning to be a sax player, learning to be a trumpet player, I mean, those, lead singer. Those are not easy though. No, but, I know. But, but you know, the beauty of it is, uh, so, you know, I went to school, I know a little bit of theory, um, but the beauty of it is, is technology. You know, it's like I could if 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 I want to learn something, I just go on like YouTube, you know, and, and take and just take the time to look at tutorials and and um, and just blare it out and, and see if it works. Uh, there's there's so many apps nowadays, you know, whether on your phone or, or on your computer that that'll help that'll you know, that'll help you as far as. Um, if there's a song you need to learn on guitar, or maybe if uh, you know if there's something I'm trying to, you know, hit um, on a trumpet, 
or you know on a saxophone so uh, i just try to embrace the technology that's really really cool so your life as a dj how long have you you've been being uh, doing dj work for as long as i've known you <laughs> i know i was thinking about that the other day somehow a conversation that came up with vetoes oh, oh back yeah, yeah. So way back in the day yeah so i want to say i probably have been DJing since 1998. Yeah. I'd say about 1998. So, gosh, how long is that? Now? It's 22 years. Yeah, 23, 23, 23 years. years yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been a little bit, a little bit, but it's been a fun ride. How do you promote yourself as a DJ? Um, the same way I would promote the shows I put on. Mm -hmm. Same, you know, just, uh, um, see, I was a, I was a concert promoter before I was ever a DJ. So um, I would, you know, do all the same methods that I, I would as a concert promoter. Smaller to, scale though? On, on, yeah. to, to get the word yeah. out. I'd say the biggest difference now when it comes to, to bookings is that, you know, of course I'll, I'll make a sample mix and put it on a, a MP3 file and send it to, um, you know, whoever, whoever wants it in regards to booking just so they could have an idea of if you know what I sound like and if I fit what they're they're looking for for bookings. So you're beyond an agent. You don't need one. Well, I'm I'm say if it, I'd I'd say at at my level at, at a you know as a re, on a regional level, mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm happy with where I'm at as far as booking myself because that way I could always coordinate. Um, you know, like like my band, like the band stuff. You know, yeah. so it's like as far as scheduling, I could always keep everything in place. Where maybe if I did, ha you know, have an outside booking agent, they, I, I, well, I shouldn't. I actually do. I, I do have a gentleman that does book some stuff for me. Um, he books a lot of weddings and stuff for me. So, um, so that's that's on top of everything else and sometimes even with that you know it can be a little bit of a conflict but we made it make everything work so i am a gear slut at heart it was an acquired taste uh -huh. <laughs> i would love to hear about the gear that you use for your dj gigs okay um actually i i like um so i i i use um a newmark ig idj pro um, and of course I use a high speed iPad and the, the reason why I like the IDJ Pro is that, you know, because I'm using an iPad with it, it's, it's equally as fast if, if not somewhat faster than, than me, um, using, uh, using my laptop. If I was using my laptop in Serato, uh, I, I would have my laptop uh, in front of me and then I'd have to adjust tracks where I'm, on my IDJ Pro I just um, I'm just using my just a finger to to you know find and go from one you know to get one track and plus it doesn't really block my view and I, I think it's just more of a personal touch of uh, having something that that doesn't where people could see you as opposed to them only seeing the computer. <laughs> you the, know, the problem I have with iPad interfaces and, and control surfaces mm -hmm. is that I have really fat fingers and I, I slide into the wrong thing. Oh. How, how did you develop your technique doing that? I mean, oh it, no, the, the, it, it, it'll, it'll work. You, you wouldn't have a problem. <laughs> you, I, I guarantee you, you wouldn't have. Sometimes I might, I'd, I'd say like with a keypad, you know, trying to, inst like if I'm really, really lost, I'm trying to find something, I'll put the name in, you know, so on the keypad, sometimes that, that might slow me down a second, but it's like once it, it comes up in like less than a second. So depending on, you know, or in, in a second. Um, so depending on what you're trying to do, um, you know, I, I, I think it's the way to go. To me, yeah. it's just, it, it, it works great. 
Are, are you foregoing turntables these days? Do you take um, those along for grins? Or? So, so I, I still believe me. I have my, I have my Technique twelve hundreds. You know, you're bringing I'm vinyl gonna, along with you on these kicks. No, no, oh. actually, I don't. I'll bring us. Okay. I'll bring a backup IDG uh, Pro. Um, and so the IDJ Pro Stylus is similar to a 1200. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like your, your interface, is, of course, is your iPad. Um, but uh, uh, it works just the same. You know, so uh, there's, uh, there's no glitches. There's no delays in motion or anything mm-hmm. like that. It, it, it works just like as if you're going to use a turntable. Probably the difference is that um, you know, and, and the same way with Serato is that you could set cue points and, and, and stuff. So, um, so if I needed to go to a certain thing, I could instantly go to that. Wow, that's come along uh, much farther than I had even realized. But of course, it makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot of great um, virtual technology out there. I think the thing is, regardless of any technology, you still got to know the basic skills. You, you know, it's like... Uh, Absolutely. Uh, you, you, in was, whatever you're doing. In whatever you do. Even like when I was talking about radio. You know, it's like from cutting and splicing tape, you know, and, and, um, and, and carting eight-track reels to nowadays, everything's digital. You know, to uh, um, maybe just moving a few files. Um, you, you know, you still have to know everything in, in order to, to be that complete DJ. Yeah. One of my mentors from years ago started his career in radio stations in the 50s. And if you can believe this, this is really, this really screws up my head, is that they did it, their commercials off of wire. And he had to edit a magnetized wire. <laughs> oh, wow. You got me stumped there, man. <laughs> well, so, so if you, if you, Cut the wire in the wrong place. <laughs> I don't know if you could get the get the broadcast back, man. I mean, geez, wow. Louise. Uh, uh, you know, it's just like, yeah. Instead of using tape, they used wire, and probably because it was cheaper than using tape. And mm-hmm. it was just like, what? Are, are you kidding me? You're talking about an entire world that I don't even understand. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, but the beauty of tape is that you could always re-record it. Right, yeah, that's exactly right. Or if you cut it in the wrong place, you can tape it back together. Yeah, you can tape it back together. Yeah, if you screw Wire? it up, yeah. I don't know, man. What, do they, they re-solder it? <laughs> I think it was a lost cause after that point. So that is, that's amazing to me. So you've done a lot of different gigs as far as weddings, parties, clubs. Oh, yeah, you name it. I pretty much did it. Um you know, when I first uh, I first started DJing, um, let me see, I was DJing for friends at house house parties. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah I think I had you at one. And, and, <laughs> you know, and sometimes you know I got paid cash, and sometimes people would would pay me in like weed or like <laughs> drugs or whatever. And, and the funny thing was that I I don't I don't do drugs. Yeah. You know, and so I. Um, I would just put all that stuff in my refrigerator, and, and so I had, I had a roommate, and he, who, who feasted off of. He, he didn't need anything out of the fridge. All he ever took was this whatever drugs were in there. Yeah. Had. So he was like, "Rob, man, you're the best DJ ever." You're my best friend. Yeah. My only friend. Yeah. No, and so it was. Yeah, so you know, to me, it was. Uh, so that's so I started out there, and then I actually, you know, I, I, um, I worked when I, you got, and you would have never knew it, but I worked. We we used to so so Brian who has mac and cheese, him and I we used to work uh, at the Union Union Square Grill, yeah, and and so I would the nights I didn't work at the Union Square Grill, I used to DJ at. A deja vu. Really? I yes. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's yeah. back in the day. Holy cow. And um, and so I and so I learned a lot about DJing and knowing what songs triggered women and what songs made them money. And what songs that 
that they, that they liked, and and the and the more the more songs that I played that that they liked and made them money, the more money I made. Yeah, did you make a lot of tips in that? And so I made a lot of tips. Yeah, you know, and that was because I catered to not just to the crowd, but but to to the gals that worked there, and what made them happy made me money, which translates into your current business model. And so, well, I'm just saying that, you know, it's yeah. like you, you, there's people that would would go to um, go to the strip club because they were just having a good time and then they right. would just end up staying longer. You know, the girls were happy, uh, the room was happy, and, and everyone was making money. To me, I think it's like for any, any new DJ that's out there, um, you know, Start at a strip club, you know, if, if that'll that'll let you know if if DJing, you know, being a I should say being a club DJ is the direction you want to go mm-hmm. because you know if you're not if you're not appealing to the women, um, it, you know if you're not appealing to the people that are the the guests there, you're you're probably not going to do a good job out in the clubs. Yeah, that's some good advice. Some very good advice. your PA system? Oh man, so for a lot of them, um, like if I'm in the club, I just plug into the club system. Um, but for like, a, for most of my, um, most of my gigs, I've, I've been just using mainly Mackie gear. Um, so I'll, I'll use uh, the, the Mackie 450, uh, Mackie 450s, I, uh, is, I'm trying to think. There's a there's a, so a series a little bit bigger. Rob, you're much too young to be suffering from sometimes. Oh man, no, it's just <laughs> because I haven't been doing so much mobile stuff. It's like I I, I don't keep stuff at my house. Yeah, yeah. It was like when I I've I've been the victim of, of bad luck in the past, and and um, you know people knew I was doing music, and my house was cased out. Oh, jeez. And yeah, they broke my door down and. Um, you know, I can stole a bunch of stuff. So uh, I actually, I it was like I remember one night it broke, got home, door was broken down, you know, place looked a mess, and they had cased and laid everything out for their next round of of. Oh, was, you just got you got home between trips. Between trips, oh, they geez. had everything laid out, like like they were getting ready to come back for round two, you know, and, and uh, I was just like. You know, I gotta, I just gotta, you know, keep stuff in storage. Hopefully, you were covered by insurance on that one. <laughs> uh, I guess not. <laughs> yeah, no, no, wasn't. You know, that, that's funny because it was the only time in my entire life I ever really needed any police help. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I called the police, and it was like, I was like, you know, because that's what you do, right? Someone broke down your door, you call the police. And then it was like two hours later. Of course. Um, you know, I called them back, and they're like, "Oh, just uh, just give us your insurance number, and uh, we'll send you the paper for the for a claim." Oh boy, <laughs> that helped. And I was just like, "Oh man, the one time I need police in my life, and it, it's like they don't even come." You know, they're not even bothering. <laughs> yeah. What was it? Audio gear. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> it was just some guitars, you know, some audio gear. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Man. <laughs> what sort of power are you using in your system, your Mackie system? Is They're all powered monitors? Yeah, they're all powered. 500, 800 watt? 500. Yeah. 500, yeah. Does the job? Yeah. You have powered subs as well? Uh, power, yeah. Um, I use one powered sub. Okay. Um, you know, I... Uh, which has it? Believe me, has enough, enough low end, enough bass to oh, of to course. do the trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could do many an outdoor show with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I've I have about 
two, four, um, seven. So seven. Are you uh, sure that's enough? Was, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's, I mean, you'd be surprised. Some of the. I've got backing here. I know how powerful it is. It's like. <laughs> well, some of the events, some of the events that I've, I've done have been pretty big events. So, you know, daisy chaining those and um, to cover a, a bigger, like one event that I did was for the uh, grand opening of the tunnel. Really? You know, and so it was a, it was a five, five K race for the tunnel opening. And I think there was about 50 or 60,000 people, Yeah, you know, that, that it did it. And so I'm at the finish line and it's like, believe me, seven Mackies is, is, isn't enough. You know, it's like, I mean, it, it held its own. Um, but when you, when you got that many people and stuff, it's, uh, it's like, you know, probably go with about 10 or 15. So you're probably running a light show too? Do you carry trusses for your lights? Um, yeah, yeah, I have that. Um, it depends on the event. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you're completely self-contained because I, back in the day when we were playing bands, we were pretty self-contained too, but the, it just seems like it kind of went away over the years. Yeah, you know, I, and that was it. It was like it, a lot of the gear was gear that you know I picked up piece by piece from from you know from bands and and you know it's like that's that's the great thing you know it's like if I'm going to play a gig somewhere and you know I'm not certain if they have you know you know what their lighting capacity is I got everything you know it's like I truthfully I don't really need. Uh, you know, a hall to provide anything. I I'm pretty self sufficient. You know, I can bring everything. I almost it's almost like I'd rather just bring my own stuff, just because I know it all works, and and I have to rely on anybody else. It takes a little more time, but the concept's simple, right? You, know, you <laughs> yeah. don't have to worry about what what's going on with other people. Yeah, and so yeah, I can just run my own sound. <laughs> so where do you see yourself in the future in regards to music, besides being your own horn section? You know, actually, <laughs> about play guitar and horn, it's going to be interesting to watch. I'd say if there was any two things that I always talk about, um, I don't think I don't think my career on the um, music on the label side is over, uh, as far as um, you know, as far as things like artist management or. Um, working for a different record company, uh, whether it's in radio marketing or promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think those things are over. And, you know, on a smaller scale, um, I've always talked about opening up a little record shop. So whether it's just, you know, me starting online selling records um, or me opening up a record, like a small boutique record store, I could you know, I could see that. And then maybe in the future going from that to just um, doing, releasing selective releases of uh, either new artists or um, past artists that uh, um, probably at that time didn't have uh, vinyl releases. Yeah, so I think the last time that we talked, we had discussed Vinyl surpassing CDs and sales now, right? Isn't that what the kind of the um, is? Yeah, I, I, I doubt that. I, I highly doubt that. But the one thing I have noticed is I've seen a, a resurgence of places like Fred Meyer and Target selling ch- cheap, uh, you know, kind of mobile uh, turntables. You, you know, just something for at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like maybe for the kids or whatever. And I've been seeing, um, you know, like vinyl, Disney vinyl, you know, stuff like that. So it's like, for me, it's like, I, I, I love it because I'm like, yeah, I want to see more Disney vinyl out there. I, I want to see a kid that's five or six or seven say, wow, this is a Disney vinyl. This is really, really cool. And their folks get them a little mini turntable. And then next thing you know, that's going to lead to them being curious about 
other vinyl and 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 other releases so i'm i'm all for you know kids wanting to experiment with vinyl or uh, or get a turntable even if it's something small and cheap just you know for their own curiosity and hopefully that sparks them to want to you know buy and purchase vinyl as a promoter would you recommend to bands putting out the releases on vinyl in lieu of CDs or? Yes. Yeah. And what's the reason for that? Well, because I think vinyl is always going to be a collector's piece. Um, You know, when you think of, when you think of vinyl, I think you think of the older traditional analog recording Mm -hmm. where, you know, it's like we're in an era of uh, X's and O's and, and um, you know binary binary code because that's all all we know from um, you know from from being digital. <laughs> that's right. So you know just to to re we're gonna instead of instead of the wave being connect the dots we're gonna actually go back and recreate a true sound wave. <laughs> that's that's actually a, excuse me an incredible idea. It's what it's what I try to do. I try to try to use as much as many analog inputs as I can when I'm recording. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the the impact of vinyl as far as a band promoting themselves, what do you think that does? Oh, I think it does a lot. You know, I think there's a lot that people miss out. You know, I mean, I still love Now don't don't get me wrong. I still love CDs. You know, I I I still love vinyl. And, 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 and the thing I love about both CDs and vinyl is the fact that I love looking at the album cover, man. <laughs> I love being able the ability to open up an album cover and reading the credits and seeing, oh man, this album was made at such and such studio and so and so produced this and, and you know, on all the liner notes. You know, you can only get that on a vinyl and you can only get that on a CD but you know you can't get that on iTunes no you cannot and, and, <laughs> you know, the, and the album as far as I'm concerned is better than the CD because you know, the CD you're like give me my reading glasses I gotta, <laughs> gotta look at these credits where the album it's just all there and it's it's uh, it just it just seems like it would have more impact mm-hmm. oh yeah I just I just love vinyl you know it's like I probably have about I'd say 10,000 pieces of vinyl, you know? So it's like, I, I love my collection of, of that, that I have. And it's funny, you know, regardless of wherever you go, you, you know, you try not to uh, get sidetracked or impulsed by, but I swear as a vinyl collector, you're always looking, man. You just, it's just something about it, you know? I've heard local artists they feel like if they are doing a release and they want KEXP to pick it up, that they don't even dare hand it a CD, that they that they know they're going to get listened to if they present vinyl. Oh, yeah. No, no. I mean, but that, that goes with the format. You, you know, it's like, you, you know, you have to know, you have to know your audience. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, not just, you know, if, if, if you're a band out there, you know, just and, and you're trying to get radio play, and you've got a good product. You know, instead of just making the 12 inch vinyl, make a 10 inch vinyl. You know, uh, make something that's unique but uniquely different. Make a colored vinyl. You know, do something that's going to catch the attention of of that program director or music director. Um, that that's like, huh? There's something. You know, it's like at the end of the day. It's all about the quality of work. So as long as you're providing the best quality of, re- of work to, uh, to that music director or program director and to your audience, that's all that really matters. But on top of it, if you want to put a little cherry on top, you know, make your product look a little different, you know? Um, maybe make the dimension a little bit different, but something that's going to catch that music director or program director's eye. That's some pretty intelligent thought there. No charge for the for the marketing <laughs> advice, folks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's other things. So, like, you know, when it comes to vinyl, 
it could be vinyl weight. So instead of maybe a, a you know, a typical 40 weight, uh, you might go with the thicker, maybe European 80 weight pressing. Um, you know, you, 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 you've yeah. got, you know, so it's like, I used to have a ton of records. I know what exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, so instead of it just being that little flimsy thing, a nice, hard, stiff, thick vinyl, it's like, those are those are the things that collectors, and those are the things that people keep. You know, it's not just that, ah, that typical record. <laughs> make it special. You know, and, and you know, and, and make it a limited, make it a limited edition. Ups, upsell yourself. Do do things like uh, do a limited run, maybe two hundred and fifty, maybe five hundred copies. You know, um, that way it's not really about um, making money, but making a great quality product. Maybe making it something that could be a collector's piece, and do something like maybe write one through two fifty or one through five hundred of. So that way, if someone oh, gets it, yeah, they're like, "Oh man, I got the first one." Yeah, I got thirty one. Yeah, I got thirty one. <laughs> you know, you don't want the four ninety nine of five hundred, but you know, but you know, you can do something like that. You can have everyone sign their names on, you know, on there, and just make each one of your works special for whoever the listener is. That's pretty, that's really solid advice. <laughs> and, uh, you, you see a lot of people dropping the ball uh, in these areas? Um, there's, there's a couple. Um, I, I have a, a, a good buddy of mine named Ben who uh, has a, a release coming out. Uh, he's re-releasing um, uh, a good friend of mine guy named um, MC Class and his group Brothers of the Same Mind. And uh, it's a re-release of their EP from, I want to say, 1992. Um, And that release was only, at that time, was only available on cassette tape. Oh, really? Wow. And so... Yeah, that's so they remastered it and and they they're re-releasing it on vinyl and and it's probably going to sound better now. Yeah, it's going to sound better. It's 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 uh, it's you know it's gonna it's gonna look good and and um, you know and, and it's it, I'm I'm excited. It comes out February first and I'm I, I can't wait to get my vinyl. Uh, I think that was actually really interesting that. We sacrificed our vinyl for cassettes, which didn't even were noisy, <laughs> and they didn't sound that great. <laughs> hey, but you can bump a cassette anywhere, man. You That's can, right. You can bump it in the car. You can right. play your little Walkman, right? In your boombox. So I mean, cassettes—they they served its purpose for its time. Yeah, part of the transition. You know, and it was like if you were, uh, you know, if you were a, a DJ. You know, you might have back in the day, you might have just recorded your own mixtape or you might have just put like maybe you made a tiny demo reel to give to a booking person. And, and it worked because in every office was always a tape deck and you could just throw that sucker in there. Yeah, there was, wasn't there? Back in, back in, I remember that. I just remember, you know, uh, <laughs> having my cassette deck and my automobile and coming out and finding it not there. Oh, <laughs> the window broken, cassette deck gone. <laughs> yeah, no, man, that's, that's where you, uh, I, I actually, I, I think I used to have a shitty, what was Cracko? I had one of those decks in my car that I knew no one would ever steal. Like, you had to be on crack to take my Cracko out of my car. Because, <laughs> wow. yeah, it was like, no, you weren't going to get no money for it. You know, if anything, you might get beat up for taking something like that out. <laughs> what do you want to say? What What's important on your heart? What's important on my heart? Um, well, I guess the most important thing would be, you know, looking forward to 2021 and just, you know, everyone getting healthy and, and uh, um, getting this uh, whole music thing 
that music train back going, man. You know, and and Tell me about uh, it, yeah. Uh, I you know, and I I think it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's it's awkward and it's it could be a little uncomfortable, um, but you know, with I think with a little bit of patience, we'll we'll be fine. You know, it's almost like I I want to see where I'm at this time next year. You, you know, um, I I. I can say we are definitely at the bottom of the pit. Let us hope. <laughs> you know, and, and and things can only rise. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, Rob, I wanted to thank you for doing this podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you're welcome. you for the insight. Oh, really. man. There's, there's so much more. Well, you but know. We'll save that for another you episode. You know what? If you want to do another <laughs> podcast, you're more than welcome to come back. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, there's right. there's a lot of things that happened in between that I I didn't mention. But, you know, that's <laughs> that's what that's what we call the tease. See, yeah. you know? <laughs> That way I'm guaranteed to come back. <laughs> oh, you, you, you got it, my friend. Absolutely. All right, Brian and Mac and Cheese out. Thanks, Rob. Hey, thank you. I hope you enjoyed the mix. Hey, you want more Mac and Cheese? Macandcheesemusic.blog on YouTube at Brian at Mac and Cheese, Instagram and Twitter, www.macandcheese.com. And thank you, Anchor.fm, for hosting this podcast. Take it away, Bruno. This is the end.